Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. And welcome back to Money FM 89.3. And it's my honour to bring up the man himself, Mr. Steve Okin, from Parts Unknown. Hello, Steve. Where are you today? Greetings from Los Angeles. Wow. It's, uh, and I, I hope my shirt uh, is quirky enough for, for uh, the <laughs> listeners today. All right, let's get on international news with you. Big news this week, big developments, two key American figures, one stepping up, if you like, and one stepping down, Steve. What's the story? Well, uh, first we had a, a headline, I think, uh, from the New York Post, which kind of sums up one of them. And, and the, the story is a Florida retiree made the surprise announcement he is running for president in a move no political pundit saw coming. Avid golfer Donald J. Trump kicked things off at Mar-a-Lago, his resort and classified documents library. Oh, fantastic. So, one that is very Neil Humphreys-esque, so you have a kindred spirit at the New York Post. But what's most significant about that is that the New York Post, owned by Rupert Murdoch, it was Fox and Murdoch that pushed Donald Trump, supported Donald Trump, and now they've turned on him. And so while Trump is in the race and he's clearly the Republican frontrunner right now, this is not going to be anything like uh, 2016 or even 2020. No, I mean, mm. some of the front runners appear to be Mike Pence, uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Mike Pompeo. And of course, the flavor of the month appears to be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I mean, what is your take on the runners and riders, Steve, and where does Trump fit into that? Well, again, I mean, the issue is that, first of all, he he's goes into this very weekend off of, off of the midterms. Um, there was an analysis done, and the Trump-preferred candidates underperformed other Republican candidates by five percentage points. Wow. So having Donald Trump was an anchor if you were in a republic if you were in the election in the midterms. He wasn't like that before. So he's very much wounded. However, in a re- crowded Republican primary, Donald Trump is still gonna keep thirty to thirty five percent of that MAGA crowd, the Trump base. And if Eight, ten, a dozen or more Republicans get in and they split up the rest. Donald Trump can still win. So you have to take him very seriously. You still have to think of him as the front runner, um, but very weakened. If it were a one on one, if it were DeSantis versus Trump, I'd bet on DeSantis. But it's not going to be a one on one. It's going to be a one on a lot. And that's to Trump's advantage. And I've been reading a lot this week, Steve, about DeSantis. Some people are concerned about him as well. I mean, I've read reports saying, his policies are not that different to Trump. He's just not Trump. Mm. I mean, he's still very right wing. He's, uh, you know, pro-life, lots of other issues. We know with the midterm results, there was a huge pushback towards pro-abortion and other women's issues. How does that play out for the Republican base? Will, will traditional MAGA votes just go to dissenters? Well, it, it, it depends if Trump is in or not. Right? Trump, I mean, Governor DeSantis is very conservative. But the one thing he's not is an election denier. He is not a threat to democracy, at least certainly most people hope he's not a threat to democracy. He did not run on the big lie, he, you know, which is Trump saying that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And that's why DeSantis, with his very conservative policies, but not attacking the core of our democracy in the United States, did extremely well in Florida. I mean, he won 
all of Florida, including very democratic parts of Florida, like Miami-Dade County, which is a heavily democratic area, he even carried that. So he is a very strong contender, but he still has to go through Donald Trump, um, and he's not Trump. So we're going to have to really watch this play out. It's why Trump's already attacking him, because he knows that he has to take him down, um, and it will get very ugly if, it, if, if DeSantis does get in the race. It'll get very ugly no matter who's in the race, of course, but very, very ugly if DeSantis gets in. I'm just curious, Steve, on a personal level. The media loves Trump. He guarantees hits. You know, he's great for search engine optimization. He's great clickbait. But are we overplaying at this time based upon the midterm results and what I felt was an extraordinarily underwhelming speech, even by his standards? He was rambling. He was all over the place. It was all the greatest hits, the, the subtle, well, subtle, unsubtle Chinese racism, you know, the pot shots, the trumpeting his deal with North Korea. It was a very lame greatest hit set. What, what, what was your take on it? Well, and, and Neil, the, the media did learn. And the media has said we are not going to overplay him. That that New York Post story on his announcement ran on page 25, not, not the front page, page 25. None of the major networks covered his speech. Um, Fox started with it, broke away from it, didn't stay with it the whole time. So he's not getting that media coverage um, that he did before. The, the new head of CNN said, you know what? We're not going to put him on just to, to get ratings and, and get eyeballs. He's going to have to be taken much more seriously. We gave him too much credit last time, more than he deserved. You can't cover everything. If, if, you, if, if he says if there's a lie, it used to be, well, he says one thing and then, and then we get somebody else to say the other. If he lies, we don't put it on and we shouldn't put it on. So I think the media has learned its lesson that if it's news, you put it on. But if it's a lie, you don't publicize it. And that's why he's not going to get the ratings this time around until he wins the Republican nomination. Then, of course, he would. And what happens with Asia? I mean, what does Trump's potential st- well, standing and potential nomination mean for Asia? Well, I mean, there's two things to watch. One we know he is going to attack China during the campaign. He did it in that rambling, you know, announcement speech, Neil, that you referenced. He talked about the China virus um, in that speech. He said that as the U.S. energy supplies were being challenged, China is his, quote, watching us die and they're laughing as it happens. So he is going to attack China. Um, he also accused China of playing a very active role in the 2020 election, um, implying that they stole it from him to, to, to favor uh, Biden. And so he's going to continue to do that. And the problem is that is going to force other candidates, potentially including President Biden, to, if he's the Democratic nominee, to also take a hard line in China because China is very unpopular in the United States. So that is going to be an issue with the increasing negative rhetoric on China. It's going to force people to move to be even more anti-China than they are. And this is going to be in the context of the Republican House, which comes in January. The Republicans take over the, the, the House of Representatives, and they are going to have a very aggressive focus on China. Mm. There's going to be hearings on China. Um, they're going to look at uh, not only Hunter Biden and his ties to China and try and taint the president with that, but they're going to look at TikTok as a national security threat. They're going to look at other ways China's espionage is hurting the United States. 
They're going to push the Biden administration to do more against China. That's going to influence what happens in Asia for sure. Well, speaking of anti-China rhetoric, U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who wasn't that popular in China recently with her comments about Taiwan, stepping down, Steve. What does that mean? Well, I I was a little bit surprised at at how she's stepping down. You got to think of Nancy Pelosi is is going to be like Lee Kuan Yew was, right, when he stepped down. So all everybody anticipated that Nancy Pelosi would would say she's going to resign from Congress, she's going to give up being Speaker and doing that, and the new generation will come in. But Nancy Pelosi has said she will not run for Speaker. She'll make way for the new generation, but she's going to stay in Congress, in that minister-mentor role, right, a senior minister role that, 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 that Lee Kuan Yew played here. Um, So I found that to be really interesting. And the Democrats are ecstatic that she is going to stay in Congress and be that that backbencher. But the the senior official that can educate the party as it moves on without her is certainly the, the Democrats in the House. Well, Steve, you know, we've we've also talked about a representative that may seek to to take over her place, Hakim Jeffries of New York, and that would make him the first black lawmaker to lead the major party's caucus in Congress. What can you tell about what can you tell us about him and can he live up to her her can he live up to a rep? Well, I mean that the thinking is that he can, but it's going to take time. I mean these Nancy Pelosi, these are huge shoes to fill. You could argue that she's the most uh, impactful, effective speaker of the House, certainly in, in our lifetime. You, I, I've seen others say ever. Um, and so Jeffries, is, he's more of a, on the moderate side um, than the, the left wing of the party. So what he's going to have to do is figure out how do you keep the party together, including you know the squad like, like AOC, how are you going to be able to manage the Democratic Party while you're trying to balance off the Republicans? That's going to be difficult. So people have a lot of hopes for Jeffries and, and what he represents from the more moderate side. Having a, a, the first black to lead a party in the Congress is very important um, to show that different ideas are welcome. But it's also going to take him some time. And so that's why... Former Speaker Pelosi, which is what she will be in January, but still Representative Pelosi is going to be able to figure out how do you keep the Democratic caucus unified? Because the Republicans will not. We already see the Republicans in disarray between Mm. the MAGA Republicans, the Freedom Caucus Republicans already saying they may not vote for Kevin McCarthy, who's the presumptive speaker on the Republican side. So it's critical that Democrats don't let that happen to them, that the, the, the progressive wing and the moderates stay together. Nancy Pelosi can do that. Very hard for anybody else to do that. So having Nancy Pelosi help Akeem Jeffries, who's from that more moderate side, be able to keep the caucus together is critical. And that's why everybody is so happy on the Democratic side that Speaker Pelosi becomes Congresswoman Pelosi and not retired, you know, public citizen Pelosi. Hmm. That's great. Now, let's bring it back to Singapore. 
using Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, as a wonderful segue to bring things to Singapore. And speaking of politicians who've been upsetting, well, China and Asia specifically, this week, Steve, you attended, I believe, the uh, flagship Bloomberg New Economic Forum. And before we get into the details of that, because I'm still slightly shocked by this, (laughs) just tell us what former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has done in Singapore. Well, I mean, the, the former, you know, prime minister, Neil, your former prime minister. No, I, I, former, don't, don't start that. <laughs> I, I took, he spoke. I was not in his speech. He was he gave the, the dinner speech on a, on, a, on the Tuesday evening of, uh, of the Bloomberg uh, New Economic Forum here and just hammered China. You know how authoritarian they were, um, how China and Russia were a threat uh, to to global security, to, to the international order. So a very aggressive uh, speech, um, really taking on China and Russia, putting them uh, together. And a lot of people in the audience, you know, government officials from Asia, business leaders uh, in Asia, um, took offense to that. Mm-hmm. And, and as we've talked about, you know, on the show, that, you know, Singapore and Malaysia are the two countries, you know, that that were surveyed by in the, you know, by uh, by Pew, which have a positive view of China and a negative view of the U.S. when you compare the two. So he didn't either he didn't know the audience or he didn't care who was in the audience. Um, And and, you know, Mike Bloomberg uh, had to apologize. Uh, for Boris Johnson's speech, because that is, but the, the tensions between U.S. China um, and the view here of "don't make us choose between the U.S. and China," you know, Boris Johnson's language was just very inflammatory, saying, "Well, how could you choose China whatsoever?" Um, and it goes against what the countries here and the businesses here are trying to do which is balance um, between the U.S. and China. Well, let's talk about that, Steve. You were in the room with uh, Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong, who spoke this week at the Bloomberg New Economic Forum. He spoke about everything from cryptocurrency to that, to the U.S.-China relationship and this balancing act. What did he say? What did you make of his comments? Well, I was he, 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 he has said what, what Singapore has been saying for, for a few years now, which is, calling on both the United States and China to avoid a clash that could economically hit smaller countries. You know, Singapore has much closer military ties to the United States. There's much more FDI investment into Singapore from the United States. But Singapore has closer economic ties overall, especially trade with China. And so the message from you know, the foreign minister from the prime minister from Lawrence Wong is the same. Don't make us choose. We want to be friends with both. And I thought the, that Lawrence Wong went even a little bit further um, at Bloomberg, where he said that the, the risk of a bifurcated and vulcanized world still remains with U.S.-China relations, even after, you know, the Biden C meeting um, at the G20. And, and what he said in particular aimed at the United States was we understand your technology bans, you know, when it comes to, to military, but your ban should be limited to legitimate security interests. But if it becomes more restrictive, which is the, the, the thought that the U.S. may be even more restrictive, then it will be concerning to us in Singapore. So I think, you know, the deputy prime minister made a stronger argument on you've got to be careful, United States, as you restrict 
trade with China. Now, Johnson's remarks came out before the, the surprise meeting between Rishi Sunak and Xi Jinping at the G20 summit in Bali, but the talks were cancelled, um, and he's actually due to be the first UK Prime Minister to meet the Chinese Premier in person in almost five years. So how do you think this might affect the recalibration of UK's relationship with Beijing? Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much the 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 Boris Johnson carries a lot of weight speaking for the for the British government now, but yeah. and we'll talk about this later. I mean, you know, Xi Jinping has a pretty muscular foreign diplomacy. They have wolf warrior diplomacy. He can be very aggressive, so you don't know when somebody's going to get frozen out or not. Oh, well, if the United States is not going to get frozen out from China, and certainly not for long, these are the two powers that have to meet. But right. you can certainly see China freezing people out when, when they are upset with them over something else. I don't know if this is going to rise to the level mm. of, you know, when Australia called for, you know, the investigation into the origins of, of the coronavirus and China just stopped trade with Australia when it came to imports of wine and things like that. I don't know if we'll get that bad, but you'll certainly see messages get sent by, by Xi Jinping. Right. Well, speaking of messages, you were in the room again. You've been so busy this week, Steve. <laughs> Meeting up with United States Trade Representative Catherine Tai. She was in Singapore this week. She met with the DPM. She met with uh, Lawrence Wong, uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs, Vivian Balakrishnan, Minister for Trade and Industry, Gun Kim Yong, and more importantly, perhaps she met with you. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what were some of the things discussed in the trade talks between Singapore and the U.S.? Well, she, she met with, with representatives of the American business community and uh, headlined by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And I was kind of the kickoff questioner for, for the region. I'm um, being the chair of the AmChams of, of Asia Pacific. And, and look, the meetings were you know, about how the United States is engaged with Asia, reengaging with Asia at the highest levels. You know, the Trump administration did not really focus on ASEAN, certainly not at the presidential and vice presidential levels. Um, it didn't have trade talks with the, the region. Um, and this is something that the Biden administration has very much um, changed. Um, and so she was here as part of that Biden approach to Asia, the Biden approach to ASEAN in particular, and trying to bring together the U.S. vision for the first step in that re-engagement, and that's through the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Uh, and so that's the administration's number one priority. It's something that they're pushing very hard on. It's certainly something that, that we talked extensively about as the U.S. business community, you know, headquartered here with her. Fascinating. And it just ties us in nicely with, I wouldn't say it was a light-hearted story to finish on, because I do happen to believe it has serious consequences, mm. but Leakgate, as I'm calling it, if no one else is calling it, um, of course, this was the discussion at the G20 that was overheard and recorded between Chinese President Xi Jinping and I say discussion, it was a scolding, Dan. I mean, he hmm. basically scolded the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. It was a real dressing down, an embarrassing dressing down. Steve, as someone who's worked in government, you worked for the Clinton administration, broadly speaking, I- I'm just curious to know, at a diplomatic level, is this a big deal first, or is it a storm in a teacup? I, I think it's a big deal. Um, and, and you have to understand the context of of Canada, you know, Chinese relations, which have really taken a hit. And it, it kind of goes back to, to 2018 
when the Canadians arrested a senior executive of Huawei at the request of the U.S. Um, when she was transiting Canada because of violations of U.S. law um, from highway uh, from from Huawei, and and that led to a you know basically a hostage taking by China. So the Canadians put um, uh, man, you know the, the Huawei official under under house arrest. Um, the Can- the Chinese then arrested two Canadian um, uh, citizens. Uh, saying that they were involved in espionage. Um, and it was only after the uh, crisis was averted in the United States and, and a settlement was made that the, the Canadians were released by the Chinese. So, so holding these Canadian citizens um, has really had a huge impact on Canada-China relations. So now you had, so, so this is another one where Xi Jinping did not officially meet with Trudeau. Uh, in in Canada, this was not an official bilateral meeting, but Trudeau kind of took him off to the side and said, "You know, we've got some issues we need to address. One of which is Chinese interference in Canadian elections, and that uh, you know China pushing you know certain candidates in a Canadian election having that type of interference." So they have that discussion. Trudeau then that that then goes to the Canadian media. And Xi Jinping was not very happy about that. Um, and the question, Neil, is when you know Xi Jinping pulls Trudeau to the side, he says we have to have sincere um, uh, communications with a, a mutually respectful attitude. Otherwise, it's hard to say what the result might be. Mm. It, it was like, is that a threat? And that was the debate that's going on. Did Xi Jinping threaten? Canada um, and threatened Trudeau by saying that, or did he not really? And this was just his disappointment in this in this uh, in this discussion getting leaked. But it clearly shows a very muscular approach to foreign policy by China. It clearly shows, you know, in a way, certainly the disdain that that Xi Jinping certainly had for Trudeau. And this was not diplomacy uh, as usual. No, and it's just a sign, I think, of where we're heading. Yeah. And we have been guilty of that on this show a few times. Live mics. Always remember the <laughs> mics are on. Have we fell for that a few Hot times? Seat. All right, Steve, we'll wrap it up. A couple of things. Tell us about the T-shirt. I love it. And what's going on <laughs> in Los Angeles? Well, no, so so you know what? This is a, a T-shirt. I'm here for Thanksgiving, and, and Bennett thought this would be a perfect Money FM T-shirt. So your former intern, Bennett Oaken, uh, got the T-shirt, said uh, he thought this would be perfect for the show. So I'm wearing it. And so, you know, it's Thanksgiving time. But the number one story here, you could, you could, you could, you could not see anything about Donald Trump, not see anything about Nancy Pelosi, not see anything about what the U.S. is doing in Asia. It's that you can't get Taylor Swift tickets. <laughs> the internet crashed when her tickets went on sale. And there's allegations of, you know, monopolistic practices by Ticketmaster. AOC is tweeting about it. They're threatening congressional hearings. So the Swifties have taken over the news in, in the United States. Everything we've talked about is nothing compared to Taylor Swift and her concert. I'm she with, just don't blame you. Yeah, I'm with the Swifties. I'm with the Swifties. I'm this close, guys, to sending an email to Lawrence Wong about Harry Styles. So I'm with the Swifties on this. Uh, Steve, thanks as always. Lovely T-shirt. All the best to you, Bennett, and all the Oaken families. And have a wonderful Thanksgiving together. Thank you, Steve. And, and happy happy Thanksgiving to all the uh, all the American listeners. Thanks, guys.
Thanks, Steve. Take it easy, my friend. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.